2: You know, living righteously before others at their places of employment, influencing others for Christ. Listen, we too have been given natural gifts. And I want you to think about it. Every one of us has been given certain natural gifts by God, even before our conversion experience. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and dwells in us upon our conversion experience, our potential at that point is increased. When you receive
0: Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, God increases the abilities He has given to you. In today's message from Pastor Mike, he explains to you that God has already given to each human being special traits and talents. However, by receiving Christ, Pastor Mike shares that those gifts become increased. God does this through the power of His Holy Spirit so that He may be glorified. Think of the gifts God has given to you and how you could use those more to bless His name and kingdom. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 31 as he continues his message, The End of an Era.
2: draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men, and this is the way that Israel referred to the Philistines. The idea here is that they were without a covenant relationship with their God, remember, through circumcision, as was the Israelis. This is not a uh, racial slur against the Philistines. It's just the acknowledgement that they didn't have a covenant relationship with God, and that's the reason why he refers to them as the uncircumcised men. Come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. And therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. Now, one of the saddest parts of this scene that's being played out for us here in verses 3 and 4, I want you to think about this. At the end of Saul's life, he became so hard in sin. That he did not want to repent. And uh, I would even go as far as he couldn't repent. And I think that this serves up a warning for all of us. You see, many people, and I want you to think about this, many people put off getting right with God until a later time. You know, and I've heard this so many times before, particularly in counseling. And uh, someone comes in and they're going through some issue, they've been. Uh, attending our services for a while, and, but they never come around to getting right with the Lord. So in counseling, you know, they'll, they'll express that to me and I'm, I'm encouraging them, well listen, you need to repent and you need to allow God to work the work that he wants to do within your life. And usually they'll respond, well I'm not ready to, to do that. There are things that I still want to do with my life. There are still certain goals that I want to achieve. And, and I know that Christianity is right and true And I know that one day I'm going to get around to making my relationship with God a correct one. And so they're not ready to repent before uh, God. So many people put off getting right with God until a latter uh, time, assuming they will still want to get right with God then. But listen, that is a dangerous assumption on that person's part. Because if you think about it, Repentance is actually a gift that comes from God. And if it is here today, it should be received. We need to act upon it because we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We don't know if our heart is going to be ready to repent. Today is the day to get right with God. You know, in the 29th Psalm in verse 1, we are told there and exhorted, he who is often rebuked, hardening his neck, will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Listen, there's no guarantees for tomorrow. So if the Lord is reproving you of your sin, right, and uh, God's Holy Spirit is working, and that's part of the operation of God's Holy Spirit to reprove us from our sin, you know, God working in our lives, trying to get us right with Him, and uh, you know, if you feel that prompting of the Holy Spirit, make sure that you respond uh, now, today, because again, we don't have any. Uh, assurances that we'll be able to do that tomorrow. Our heart may never come around uh, to getting right with uh, the Lord. And such was the case with Saul. I mean, how many opportunities did Saul have to get right with the Lord? Remember, often through his disobedience, remember Samuel, uh, the time when he was asked by God, commanded by God to destroy the Amalekites. And uh, remember, uh, Saul uh, kept the king after they went out in, in battle. And he was looking for uh, them to pay some money to get the king back. And they took some of the livestock and, uh, for him himself. And it was through disobedience. And remember, uh, Samuel had rebuked uh, Saul because of that, because of his disobedience. And, and Samuel says, you know, God is looking for uh, obedience. Uh, rather than an offering. Remember, he offered that bogus excuse that he had saved the cattle and the livestock to offer up unto the Lord, but it was just an excuse. It was actually a lie. And uh, remember, because of his disobedience, the Bible tells us that God had chosen David to be the next king over Israel in Saul's uh, place. He had ample opportunities. That's just one occasion where he had an opportunity to repent of his sin, but he never did. And things only got worse and worse, and his heart became hardened and more hardened. And uh, God help us that that would never happen within each and every one of our lives as, as well. So anyway, so Saul here and his sons, his bodyguards, they made a valiant attempt to hold their position. But one by one, the Philistine archers found their targets. Most were killed and Saul was badly uh, wounded. Anyway, the armor bearer here, according to our text, uh, afraid to comply uh, with Saul's request, Uh, to kill him, he's badly uh, injured now, Uh, somehow impaled himself on his own uh, weapon. Let's pick up now in verses 5 and uh, 6. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him, because he thought that he was going to face the same fate as Saul, that the Philistines would actually uh, not only kill him, but would also, uh, you know, uh, Uh, you know, mess around with him and and, uh, just, uh, you know, impale him. And so anyway, it says there in uh, verse 6, and this is where I wanted to take you, verse 6. Notice here, so Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men, and there were 3,000 that were a company of Saul's bodyguards, died together that same day. Okay, so what do we take away from this? Well, Saul's sin, his hardened rebellion, and eventual ruin affected far more than himself and even his immediate family, that is his sons. It literally endangered the entire nation of Israel. So what do we take away from this? I want you to think about the far-reaching effect of sin, not only in our lives, but in the lives of Others listen. The wrong choices that we make to sin affects everyone around us, and especially our loved ones. I want you to think about that, particularly those of you who are parents with children, Uh, husbands, your wives. You know the things and the choices that we make. Your wife may be serving the Lord, or your husband may be serving the Lord. And uh, but you know the choices that we make to sin affect our whole family. We've seen this time and time uh, time again. That's just the the effect of sin. It has a far-reaching effect. So I want you to think about that the next time that you are uh, presented with some kind of uh, opportunity to uh, sin. Anyway, the armor bearer is afraid to comply with his request, and Saul somehow impaled himself on his own weapon. Okay, so, uh, but you know what? There's something else that I want to draw your attention to, and I don't want to get so far into this. But as we move into uh, 2 Samuel, and we'll do that next time in chapter 1, we're introduced to, in our cast of characters, this Amalekite. And uh, he uh, presents himself to uh, David. He goes back to where David was in the city of Ziglag to let him know about the battle and how it had ensued. And he claimed the credit for killing uh, Saul, and uh, and so we're really not sure of what had taken uh, place. Probably this Amalekite that we're introduced to in chapter 1 of 2 Samuel was looting the dead bodies, and we'll discover that he brought back to David in Ziglag Saul's crown and one of his bracelets, and probably one of the reasons why he had taken credit for killing Saul was to seek favor from David. So he presents Saul's crown to David and his bracelet as well. So we're really not quite sure. You know, here uh, it it sort of suggests that although the armor bearer was afraid, uh, we really don't know if the armor bearer there in verse 4 thrust Saul uh, through and actually uh, killed him. It is possible that the, the armor bearer thought Saul was dead, but really had only fainted. So we're really not sure exactly how uh, Saul died, whether it was because of the fact that he had been hit by the archers of the Philistines or he was killed by his own armor bearer or this fellow that we'll be introduced to in chapter, uh, uh, in chapter one in 2 Samuel. So we really don't know uh, how uh, Saul was actually killed. Well, anyway, the result of the Philistine victory was utter retreat, the utter retreat of God's people. Let's pick up now in verse 7. And when the men of Israel, now this is a reference to the non-combatants, those who were engaged in this battle against the Philistines, verse 7, who were on the other side of the valley, that is the valley of Jezreel, and those who were on the other side of the Jordan River saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled. And the Philistines came, and they dwelt in them. And so they dispersed in all directions, that is the Israelis, and even crossed the Jordan River and into the territory of Gad. Delighted with this move, the Philistines took possession of the Israelites' homes and everything that they were not able to carry away with them. Now in verses 8 through 10, we are given a glimpse of what happened the day after the battle. So let's pick up now in verse 8. So it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, so they were looking uh, to loot the, uh, the bodies that were strewn everywhere uh, on the uh, battlefield, that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor, and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among the people. So the idea here is that they were uh, about the occupation of disgracing the corpse of these uh, dead Israelites. Then they put his armor, that is Saul's armor, in the temple of the Ashtoreths, and the Ashtoreths were the goddesses of the Philistines, and they fastened his body to the wall at beth So, okay, so showing their contempt for Saul, they cut off his head, and in all probability, they placed it on top of a spear, and runners took it through the cities and villages, providing conclusive proof of Saul's death. This is pretty nasty stuff. But this is what they did back then. Remember even when David went up against the champion of the Philistines, Goliath of Gath, after he cut off his head. Uh, David took his sword, uh, Goliath's own sword, and stuck it up into his head, and he held it up before the armies of Israel. They really got all excited. And then they came from all directions, and they went up against the Philistines, and on that day, they had a decisive battle against them. So this was just a a practice in in battle uh, in that day, but it was really nasty stuff. Well, anyway, his armor, that is Saul's, was stripped from his motionless body and placed in the temple of the Ashtoreth, that is the goddesses of the uh, Philistines. Now, something else I want to draw your attention to here. Saul's tragic death gave opportunity for the enemies of the Lord to disgrace his name. That is the name of uh, Jehovah. Saul's death was used to glorify pagan gods and to mock the living God. Okay, let's bring this down to personal terms here. Let me ask you a question. What do unbelievers say about the God whom you serve? What conclusions do they come to by the way that we live our lives? Are they coming to the wrong conclusions? That the God that we proclaim, that the God that we uh, proclaim that we serve is impotent to save, to provide, to change to protect, or do they even come to the conclusion that the God whom we serve doesn't even exist? Something to think about. How important it is that we preserve our testimony, particularly uh, amongst unbelievers. Are we giving them an opportunity to defame the name of our God, the God whom we uh, serve? So anyway, I just thought that I would uh, mention that. And, uh, And then finally, the naked bodies of the king and his sons were fastened to the wall of the city of Bathshan, as is indicated here in our text. So as the people went in and out of the gate of the city, they saw the blood-stained corpses of those who dared to stand against the united power of the Philistine army. Well, listen, the gloating of the Philistines was short-lived because now, In the concluding verses here of chapter 31, we read, let's pick up now in verse 11. Now when the inhabitants of Jabash Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men, and you might want to underline those words, valiant men, arose and traveled all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabash from whence they had come and burned them there, then they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Gabesh and fasted for seven days. And listen, you've got to love these guys, right? These valiant men of God. Without asking for permission or consulting any committees, these certain valiant men of Jabesh Gilead crossed the Jordan River at night. They made their way to Beth-shan and quietly as possible, remove the bodies of Saul and his sons. And listen, let me tell you something. This was no small uh, thing because they had traveled from Jabesh Gilead some 14 miles throughout Philistine uh, territory that had been occupied uh, by them uh, to get hold of those bodies to bring them back to their own uh, city. So this is no small thing. And then reaching their hometown, and to avoid any further desecration of the bodies of the royal family, they burned the remains and buried their bones and fasted for seven days as a sign of respect. And so listen, gang, the sand in Saul's hourglass had finally run out. This is truly the end of an era. And that's where we get the title of this morning's message from. It was a sad end for Saul, He died without having accomplished anything of lasting value. He never enlarged the borders of Israel. His epitaph was sort of like like Samson's. Could have been, should have been, but never was. You know, God help us that that wouldn't be our epitaph at the end of our lives, that our last days would be a sad one as well. Could have been, should have been, but never uh, was. And all of this can be traced right back to Saul's disobedience. I mean, he had great potential when he first began. You know, he was anointed by Samuel the prophet, and really anointed by God to be the first king over Israel. Uh, God gave him special abilities uh, to be able to be Israel's first uh, king. His natural abilities were enhanced by the Spirit of God, as the Spirit of God, we are told, came upon him. Initially, he was very successful when we first read of Saul in the first few chapters here in the book of 1 Samuel. Once he was admired by the people. He was loyal. Uh, The people were loyal to him as he was loyal uh, to God. He was victorious in battle. Every time he went out in battle, he was victorious. He initiated some religious uh, reforms. Remember, we were told in one of our previous studies that he had cut off all of the mediums and spiritists Uh, from the land of uh, Israel. So he was responsible for initiating some of the religious forms throughout the nation. And thus he stands, therefore, as an example of what God can do through an individual whose heart was right before uh, God. Please take special note of that. But then on the other hand, in contrast, his life also serves as a warning for all of us. It illustrates how we can negate and nullify the work that Lord, that the Lord desires to accomplish through us. And listen, I believe that God has a very special work for each and every one of us to do. Whether it's uh, the pastor of a church sharing God's word, or a parent in their home raising their children for the Lord and instilling within them a godly heritage, or a Christian businessman at their place of employment, you know, living righteously before others, at their places of employment, influencing others for Christ? Listen, we too have been given natural gifts. And I want you to think about it. Every one of us has been given certain natural gifts by God, even before our conversion experience. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and dwells in us, upon our conversion experience, our potential at that point is increased. You know, you might have been before you came to make that decision in Christ, a good communicator. But, you know, God takes that natural ability that you have and enhances it for his glory. You might have some capacities, some natural abilities for business or administrative kinds of skills or parenting kinds of skills. But once you're converted to Christ, all of those things that God has given you, those gifts, are enhanced by him. And thus we become men and women of influence in our homes, at work, in the schools that we attend, the universities, in our church, the way that we influence one another. That is only to the extent that we remain obedient to the Lord is He able to use us. Folks, listen to me. Choose the best. Heed the call of God. Be one of those valiant men and women that we were introduced to here in our text. Rise up, you know, and do what God wants you to do. Remember, he has called us. As Paul puts it in the book of Romans in chapter 2 in verse 7. The glory and honor and immortality. Choose this great destiny. God has a destiny before each and every one of us. But we have to choose. We need to strive for it. And yes, There's a cost that is involved, and you may suffer for it. Remember, the Bible tells us that many are called, but few are chosen. Listen, gang, be one of those few.
1: In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house. Where I
0: to be. Oh, my That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. Did you know that you could listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House and be sure to subscribe. And let us know you're a listener in the comments. We'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship too. You can find all the information you need at HarvestNYC.org. While you're there, you can reserve your seat by clicking on Contact and then the Register link. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live-streaming our services each week and you can connect on our website. Again, that's HarvestNYC.org. If you'd like to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's HarvestNYC.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. Thanks again for joining us today, and we look forward to our continuing study of 1 Samuel. Next time, here on In My Father's House.
1: There's a place for